1: And welcome back to another episode of EM Weekly. Todd DeVoe is going to be talking with Vic Mergenian from Titan HST on emergency communications. And now your host, Todd DeVoe.
2: Hi, welcome to EM Weekly, and this is Todd DeVoe. And today we have a special guest here. It's it's an awesome tool. And just for full disclosure, I I saw uh, Vic Titan HST give a presentation and I fell in love with the product, and I'm actually going to implement this product at the university where I work. So let's really quick introduce uh, Vic. And Vic, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yes, and thank you so much for having us on the show today. So my name is Vic, and I'm the CEO and founder of Titan HST. And, you know, we're very excited to be here and, and talk about this product and talk about emergency communication in general. We, we really believe the importance. Uh, empowering users in this day and age with everything that's going on. And, and that's a passion of mine. I, I, I've seen a lot of uh, people, you know, struggle in emergencies. And, and one of the fundamental things I, I've seen people struggle with is the ability to get help and communicate and have that peace of mind. And so, uh, we, we wanted to create something that empowered people to do that no matter where they were. And, and that's meant a lot to me and it's something we're very passionate about.
2: So. So what made you decide to, uh, well, I know what made you decide to start it, but so you started HST, and you talked about empowering people, and I think that's really awesome. And what do you think really got you started in this business?
0: You know, the thing that got us started in this business is back in the day, I'm, I'm sure there were threats, but it wasn't, it just didn't feel, whether it was or wasn't, it didn't feel like there was something that could happen around every corner, you know, whether you're at school, whether you're at work, whether you're at the mall, it feels like these days everywhere, there could always be something. And the thing that drove us is we wanted something that could empower users, but as, as you know, users ourselves of the system and whatnot, we didn't want something that was going to track us and and, and not be privacy-centric. So we wanted to create something that's as powerful as possible, you know, and offers as many means of communication as, power, as possible, whether it's two-way text, picture, group audio calling, redundant on cellular and Wi-Fi, video, augmented reality. So we wanted to basically have this set of tools, just like when you get on social media, you know, you, you can pick your Facebook, you can pick your Twitter, you can pick your Instagram. We wanted to have the same thing for emergency communication. We wanted to have as many options as possible for communication that can suit whatever scenario that you're in while also maintaining privacy. And with that, our goal was to empower users, people just like you and me, um, while also allowing additional information to, to crisis managers and, and police, you know, so that they have more situational awareness in a situation and can respond more quickly and, and more, you know, directly.
2: That's awesome. So one of the things that really impressed me with your product when we were looking at it was the two-way communication and uh, I really yes. think that was was key. Tell me a little bit more about your two-way communication.
0: So the two-way communication is kind of a, a unique feature um, to our system. And basically the idea behind it is, is at of times in emergency management, emergency communication, there's this focus on, okay, if something's happening, let's send out a notification to people, whether that's a text message, an email, whatever. And, you know, assuming those go through fast enough, which in most cases they don't, that's great. But the thing is, how do you get that information from the field up to the crisis managers, the police, security, etc.? And afterwards, how do you update that information and get, you know, basically a conversation flowing? So with the two-way communication system that we built, we built something that's really, really optimized from a data perspective because in an emergency, whether they're cell towers or Wi-Fi, those networks get congested and overloaded very quickly. So the question is not only do you have coverage in the first place, but will that coverage sustain in an emergency? And the answer in many instances on many sites is it it struggles. So with our two-way communication system, we built an optimized system that allows that back-and-forth communication, everything from finding GPS location to the text, picture, audio, video, group calling, and uh, an augmented reality, to really allow that conversation in that emergency situation not only does that give the first responders better situational awareness, but also, you know, when, when you're in these situations, knowing that help is coming, knowing what's going on, gives such a level of, you know, peace and comfort to the people in the crisis, knowing that you're not there alone, waiting, not knowing there's help coming, if something happening, you have no idea, you know?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I know that that's like one of the biggest complaints, um, in the lockdown situation is people that are in the rooms, Aren't sure what the heck is going on and, you know, they're still scared and they're not sure if they're safe or not safe and, and being able to communicate back and forth is, is really kind of key in a situation like that.
0: That's so true. That's so true. And then you've even got, and, and we always talk about these mass scale emergencies, which definitely is happening more and more in the US these days. But also you've got the individual emergencies. So imagine that you're walking with your friend and your friend suddenly chokes or has an allergy or something. With this two way communication, if your friend summons help on your behalf, they could be guided via video on how to engage in CPR until the first responders can get there, how to do the Heimlich, do whatever, you know, maybe some other necessary action or some something. So you can in that sense almost create some basic level of first responders out of any person who's there until trained first responders arrive.
2: Well, wow, that's that's super powerful right there. I know that's um you know one of the big things is, is getting people there early. And you know the kind of cool part about that too is that throughout the the world your first responders, quote unquote, the the people who are actually going to do a lot of the individual rescue are the lay people. And for them to have a resource like that to be able to to, to be able to help until the trained professionals can get there, that's that's really uh, empowering right there for sure.
0: Well exactly because as you know, you know seconds or minutes it makes a big difference there. So even if you've got help coming from trained first responders within a couple minutes, I mean, if you could do something like CPR for that first minute or two until the trained professional gets there, you could really minimize the, the threat to physical safety during that period.
2: Oh, yeah, that's that's so true. And, you know, I'll tell a quick little story here. When I was working in the field, um, I ran a, a call where a lady was, was bit by a bee, stung by a bee, and she was allergic to it. And by the time we got there, she was so swollen that we couldn't do anything. And if if we could have given somebody some additional information, maybe she could have saved. She could have been alive today. Who knows? But that yeah, maybe she would
0: have had something with
2: it. You know, right. I mean, you never know. Right. So one of the things, one of my frustrations in communication, mass communication, um, was that process of, and I know I'm probably using the wrong term here, but the one I know is called throttling, where we send messages out, and because it's overload loading the system. It slows them down, and then sometimes, you know, in some some cases, we've put out messages where people were getting the all-clear before they got the alert, and then they're confused, and they're calling us and asking us a lot of questions, or they didn't even get the alert and the all-clear until, you know, a day after the event was over. So what are the trends in emergency communication, and then, like, like kind of how, how does your program or how does your software – uh kind of get around that throttling issue?
0: Yeah, so that, that's a great question, and it's, as you correctly point out, it's one of those things that a lot of times people don't realize until they experience it, and then you're in one of those positions where it's like, oh man, what's going on? We've got the system to communicate, and no one's getting communications. So there's, there's two separate issues here that, that go on from a technological standpoint. And the, you know, the first one is yes, there is a throttling issue. Some companies, some technologies, they can't sustain the load. And so they throttle that, which completely defeats the purpose. If you've got to push out alerts to 500, 10,000, 50,000, whatever the number is, what good is it going to do if they're throttling that at 50 or 100 or whatever arbitrary number, you know, per minute or whatever. The other issue is many, many, many companies don't have the infrastructure in the first place. So forget even throttling. They don't have the infrastructure. It would be an equivalent of trying to tow a giant heavy trailer on a tiny four-cylinder engine. It's not going to move, you know? It's just not. You can floor it. It's not going to move. And so what we've done to address that, and I think you will see more of this in in the market in the future to the extent that, you know, we we don't hold IP on it. I think what you're going to see is we've done a few different things. The first thing is we have very high-capacity systems. Then we have also set them up in a geo-redundant manner. So if you've got power outages, flood, anything like that that knocks out one system, we have it redundant in other areas throughout the country and internationally as well, too. So not only do you have an infrastructure that's resilient to local issues, but also a system that is able to sustain that heavy load. Now, really where I think the future of this is going to go, let me take this one step further because it's a great question that you asked. So I think what you're going to start seeing is more robust back-end infrastructures And I think you're going to see that by shift to the cloud rather than in-house server architectures. Hmm. We are already there, and we're taking that one step further, which I think the market's going to catch up to in the next few years. Um, You know, Who knows where we'll be at that point, but I think they'll get to where we're going there. And what what that step is, is not only now do you need to increase the capacity, and the easiest way to do that is by going to the cloud for all the, the reasons I mentioned, but then to add a layer of artificial intelligence on top of the architecture that you have to a- be able to legitimately determine what is clean traffic versus what is dirty traffic, so you don't have dirty traffic bogging down the system during a real emergency. And I think that's where we're going to see the technology going in the future.
2: That's really that's really cool stuff right there. You know, I I know that uh, over the years testing different systems and whatnot, and it, it seems like yours for sure is uh, more innovative than. Uh, than, than the others I've seen in the past.
0: I was going to say, you know, the, the other thing too is, as technology is evolving, there's so much more at our disposal than there was a few years ago. Because not only do you have those throttling issues and capacity issues on the servers, but one of the things that Titan us, and I think that the market's going to move towards too, is you can compress data locally on the mobile devices before you're sending. So not only can you create more backend infrastructure, but and more intelligent backend infrastructure. But you can reduce the amount of data while containing the same amount of data hmm. that goes through the network in the first place to then create capacity and also local the burden on the local networks, whether that's cellular Wi-fi or whatever else you're connecting via. Well,
2: that's really kind of cool actually you know yeah and even you know the, the best part about it is is even a guy like me who's uh, not super technical can can really understand and appreciate that when you start working within the systems for sure. All right, so we're going to take a quick break here for a second, and uh, we'll come back uh, with some more from Vic. 315 and 314, there is at least one person that's been shot.
1: Are you ready for the unthinkable? Call our friends at High Speed Tacmed. They provide custom emergency planning and training that saves lives. With years of experience in law enforcement, search and rescue, responding to and managing large-scale incidents, HSTM will evaluate and prepare written plans, training sessions, drills, and debriefs, leaving you with the necessary tools and experience that can save lives. Call HSTM today to discuss your specific needs, and the staff of High Speed TACMED will help ensure that you're ready and are in complete compliance. Call High Speed TACMED today, 805-419-0024. Again, that's 805-419-0024. The friendly staff at HSTM is standing by. Bringing our bodies now. Get someone
2: to the back as soon as you can. We're personnel. I got at least three to seven hits. All right. Welcome back from the, from the break here. And so, Vic. So we're just discussing, you know, kind of your system here, how it works a little bit, um, and 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 kind of the trends that happen or are happening here in mass communications. So I, I do have this one question for you. I, I think as as a as a consumer who is looking for for a product, what are the critical questions that we should be asking uh, an emergency communications provider?
0: That's a great question. That really is a great question. And there's a few things that I think you've got to make sure that any emergency communication system has. The first thing you've got to look into is the security of the system itself. Specifically, how is the data stored? Where is the data stored? Is it encrypted? Is it encrypted on transit? What encryption protocols is it using? So the first and most important thing, before you even get to the performance of the system, is is the data safe? Because you're loading your users. As an organization, you're loading your users into there. So is the data safe? The next question that I think that's very important is a metric on performance in and of itself. So what is the performance of the system? Is it reliable? And what does reliable mean? Do you have multiple locations for the servers? Do they have power backup? Are they resilient to both digital threat as well as physical threat? You know, someone gets into their cloud infrastructure from wherever they're housed, what kind of capacity does it have? Does it have throttling, as you mentioned? Does it have a certain cap on what it can send? So finding out what the performance metrics of the system is themselves. So we've talked about making sure the data is secure. We've made sure that the product itself, this infrastructure, is able to sustain. Then the last question that I think that's important is, uh, or maybe one of the top three if you're going to put it that way, (laughs) is the redundancy. How do you access the system? In an emergency, as we all know, time is of the essence. So do you need to run back? to a desktop computer and try to log in there to send out a mass notification. When keeping in mind, if there's a power out, it says desktop's not even going to power on, you mm-hmm. know? So how are you getting into the emergency communication system? Does it have mobile? Does it have text? Does it have email? Does it have web? Does it have pop-ups? And that way, not only do you have a multiple points of entry in for crisis managers and users, but also a redundancy in being able to disseminate that information to get to people in as many ways as possible, too, to make sure that those alerts and messages are going through.
2: Yeah, that's that's key, too, for sure. Now, I correct me if I'm wrong, and you guys have that one-click message system, right?
0: Exactly. And that's one of the things that we really believe is important in emergency. So on one hand, you're sometimes you need to immediately lock down or send out a notification to your site. So with that in mind, We've created a one-touch lockdown system. If you have a mobile device, it's an iOS device, an iPhone, iPad, you don't even have to open the app. You can force-click it from the home screen itself with a hard touch, a hard press, and with one click, you can send out a lockdown notification to your whole site instantly that's received via push notification, text message, email, and web pop-up. At the same time, when you need to communicate more information, then we've got that broadcast functionality, which... With one click opens up the broadcast and there you can type a short message, picture, audio, whatever, and push that out to your whole user base.
2: Oh, well, that's, that is really powerful right there because I know that sometimes when we're working with the other systems you have to go in and, you know, log in and then go from the login to the messages, from the messages to this, from this to this before you can, you know, before you can push the message out. So that's, that is, that's is some really great. See,
0: that's a great, and that's a great point you bring up, Todd, because the thing is, When you look at these mobile devices these days, they're all password protected by fingerprints or or passwords to get in, right? They're very secure. So once you've logged into the device, in an emergency, you shouldn't be encumbered by having to type additional passwords and things like that. The system is confidential, but not anonymous. You can't prank it. So when time is up in essence, you've got to find that right balance between security and timeliness for being able to communicate.
2: Right. Yeah, that's, that is some, uh, that's, you're so correct on that. Um, well, you know, so, I, I know one of the questions that we, that have come up, you know, through our time here specifically is, it is an app, and so there is that idea that you have to encourage people to download the app. That's, that's one half of it. But the other half of it, too, is, you can still, in the system, upload people's uh, phone numbers and emails and whatnot, and still communicate that way. Is that is that correct? Am I saying that correctly?
0: Yes, yeah, that's, that's completely correct. So what we do is with the app, you know, the app has basically two different login screens. One is for administrators, which serves as basically a mobile command center. And for that, it's definitely great for the administrators to all have the system. If you walk away from that functionality, though, and you just look at the typical end user, if the end user does nothing, then that's okay. We meet them where they're at, and they'll get emails and text messages with that same performance that our system has. But if they download the app, then you've got even a heightened level of performance of being able to initiate alerts themselves to the administrators. So they're not stuck receiving only broadcast notifications or population status queries where the administrators are trying to find out where their people are, are they safe, and things like that. And in fact, they can even do additional things like have walk me home If you have the app that will allow you using various different algorithms we have to make sure that you either get back safely to your car or house or make sure you get from your home to school and then back home safely as well, too. So we catch everyone where they're at. Nobody has to do anything to get into the system. But if they install the app and we find a lot of people do, then it adds even additional safety for those users.
2: Yeah, I, I'm. I, that's that's a really kind of a cool feature too, especially uh, the on-campus features where um, the walk me uh, to my car feature is really is really critical too today. You know, I want to circle back on something here really quick, and I know you sure. mentioned it in the beginning uh, of our interview here, but there is that feature that you have with the safe click and the I need help click, right, uh, for the app user. Kind of explain. And I always think, and I hate to say it this way, but I always think of the safe click, just to kind of give people an idea, is that you know when there's an event going on and people are checking in via Facebook that they're safe. You know, um, sometimes that's it's nice. You know, so this safe click is sort of like that. So explain the safe click in your in your uh, uh, any help click uh, on your app.
0: Sure. So basically, what you can do is during an emergency, of course, at any time, you can always trigger an emergency two-way alert with administrators. The other thing though that, that you're uh, alluding to is our population safety status query. And basically what you're able to do there is administrators with one click are able to send out a request to their entire organizational unit asking where people are and if they're safe or not. Users then, via either text message or via the app, can respond if they're safe or not, on campus or not on campus, and share their location. This way, emergency responders and administrators are able to see in real time a map of blue and red dots of where their users are to be able to determine where people are safe and where they're not. Furthermore, because of the two-way functionality of our system, administrators can click on any of those users and initiate two-way text communications as well as group or individual audio calls. And when the first responders get to that site and they want to get to the people who are in trouble in those red areas, They can either see them on a map, or they can flip up the device and, using augmented reality, scan the entire campus or site and be directed to where they need to go to respond with help.
2: Wow, that's that right there in itself is is a really powerful tool for, especially for for those of us that are in the safety world. I I know I had one question uh, from when we're discussing this before uh, amongst ourselves, um, and. One of the guys that was from a city, and he said, "Does this can this program work well for cities?" I mean, he understands it with campuses and then the school systems, but um, how would you roll it out with like countywide or citywide? How would that work? How do you see that? Absolutely,
0: and that's such a great question. And some of our largest clients are actually government institutions like cities and, and NGOs. And so the way you would deploy it, whether it's a school or a business. Um, you can do one of two ways. The, the first way is if that site already has a database of their users, then we can integrate directly with that database. So users can log in with the same credentials they use anywhere else. And if the site doesn't have a database like that, an active directory as they call it, then we can just upload them via an Excel file or individual logins. Once they're in, the way that a lot of cities use this is you've got a citywide umbrella for perhaps staff. And that way, anyone who's an administrator or law enforcement can send out a lockdown to, for example, City Hall. But they also usually break down into sub-sectors as well, too. For example, public works or the people who are going out and doing home inspections for construction. Then you might have the people who are going out and doing parking enforcement. So you could have subgroups, too. And that way, if someone falls in a house they're inspecting or is threatened out while they're doing uh, the meters, then they can hit that emergency information uh, alert and their supervisors would know where to go, what to do, um, if there's an incident, an injury, they can go out there, everything is documented, everything is geo geolocated, geo-pinned with the GPS. So you've got all of that going there as well as still empowering the city and administrators. If, for example, it starts raining and there's a flood somewhere or an earthquake, they could send out broadcasts to tell people to come back to City Hall. and pull that population status survey feature to see where the people are in City Hall and as well as outside of City Hall, and that way be able to determine where to send help. The other functionality we've got, too, for the cities, which also exists for the schools, um, is basically the ability to have emergency documentation and videos in the system itself. That way, if there's an earthquake, if there's a sexual assault, if there's an injury while out in the field, you can pull up from the mobile device Specifically trained evacuation maps, training protocol, emergency protocol, videos on what to do for CPR, etc. And have that amount of information in the palm of your hand wherever
2: you are. Yeah, that's great stuff. Okay, so I know our people out here love to hear success stories. And I know you have a couple of them that you talk about. So can you share with me a couple of your success stories and how your programs actually saved lives already?
0: Sure. So we've had a few really, really exciting ones. Uh, You know, on on a day-to-day basis, we always talk about the large-scale scenarios and incidents. But some of the most touching ones to us as a company have been the individual ones, where there was an individual who really needed help. One of them was a student at a site, and the student was troubled and drank um, a chemical at the site that they shouldn't have drank. And the teacher, normally the teacher would have had to call the front office. Front office calls. Police, police come to the front office, go to the classroom. And we were told that the average response time for something like that is about 10 to 14 minutes. With our tiny HST system, the teacher pressed a button. We were integrated and dispatched. The principal came over, took over the classroom. Dispatch told the teacher what to flush the chemical with. The response time was down to seconds with help arriving within a couple minutes. And then uh, because they were able to go directly to where the GPS pinpoint was. And we were told that that saved that student's life after spending a couple days in ICU. So that was a story that was really quite touching to us and uh, really made us feel good about that. A couple other stories we've had, too, is we've had large-scale power outages where other systems, you know, they weren't able to connect. And because of the redundancy of our system, they were able to send out emergency notifications to all the users. And by doing that, they were able to prevent a chaotic situation before it even escalated there. So those are a couple of the most recent examples of the use of the system. That um, you know, it just speaks to kind of the the breadth of how you know you never know what an emergency situation is going to be, and, and the flexibility of the system.
2: It is always nice to hear, you know, those success stories like that, and it kind of you know really brings home to to me that what we're here to do, and, and we are here to try to save lives and and uh, keep everybody safe, and and using a tool like this to be able to do that, that's uh that's that's really important. All right. So, a couple more questions left here. This last one here, or not last one, but this one here I'd like to talk to you about is, I want you to give me your quick elevator speech, your plug for your company. Like, why should we use Titan HST?
0: So, here's our deal with Titan HST. We believe that every user should be empowered by having immediately accessible two-way communication. So, Titan HST empowers every user with two-way communication via text, picture, audio, video, augmented reality, while also maintaining privacy-centric and secure environments. Therefore, we want everyone to be able to do whatever they're doing without any worry, but when they need help, know that with one click, help can be on its way.
2: That's great. Okay, so in, in the military world, we have this thing called task and purpose. We know what our tasks are, and we know what the purpose of our mission is. What is the task and purpose of Titan HST?
0: The task is to enable that emergency two-way communication in an emergency, find where your people are, know what you're getting into, and send help accordingly. Stabilize the situation, reduce emergency response times. The purpose is to prevent loss of life, prevent loss of property, and to minimize, if not eliminate, the dangers that are posed to
2: people. Outstanding. All right, so this is going to be the toughest question of the, of the, of this interview. So if you had to, or what you, when you do, what are the, like, say the top two books that you give out and or recommend to people, uh, in your circle?
0: That's a great question. And my answer to that will be as non-traditional as our technology is with Titan. My favorite thing to read, I'm an avid reader. My favorite thing to read, and I always advise others to read, is Harvard Business Review. I think it's a great tool because you always have different authors writing different articles all across various industries, various sectors, and from various walks of life. And I think the amount of information that comes from there really gets the wheels cranking in anyone's mind, opens up your imagination, and gives you so much information from various case studies, people's experiences, the wins, the losses, trends, ideas. I highly recommend it. It's my favorite source of information. For business, for technology, and just general information about you know where things are going.
2: That is a great that is a great recommendation. I remember when I was going through grad school, and uh, we had to read Harvard Business Review uh, stuff. And you're absolutely right; it always gives. Isn't it great? It is great. It is great. You know, I'm putting that on my list of, of, of uh, publications to to to, to get. Great. I, let,
0: let, let me let me know when I get my commission fee from uh, HBR. <laughs>
2: Well, for sure. That's, you know, because you know, when you said that, I was like, you're absolutely right. There's so much good information in there. And it's not, you know, yeah. people kind of get turned off a little times because of a business review. But it's really, I mean, it talks about public sector, private sector. Exactly. You know, things that are going on in the government, trends in technology. It is a really good. Uh, it it's just
0: short. It's about life. And in this day and age where we're all so busy, you know, those articles are just a few pages. So who doesn't have time to read for three or four minutes at a time, you know? And if you want to read for hours, you can, but three or four minutes at a time, and you'll get, you know, three or four articles in.
2: Yeah, that's for sure. And they're always timely, too. So that's great. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we're coming close to the end here. Is there anything else that you'd like to impart with our listeners?
0: You know, we just want to thank everyone for their time. We want to thank you so much for having us on the on your show. We're excited to be here. And, you know, we just, we really believe in the importance of emergency communication in this day and age. And you know, as the owner of Titan, I, obviously, I believe that we have the best product, but whatever product you go with, make sure your site has an emergency plan, make sure you've got an emergency communication system. Emergencies can happen, but having something to basically have a plan and a communication system during that, man, it can make all the difference between what could be an annoying incident versus what could be a catastrophe.
2: Well, Vic, once again, thanks for being here. Thank you for your time today. And... Uh... Man, this is really good.
0: Thank you for having us. Well,
1: that's a wrap for episode three. Be sure to tune in next week while Todd DeVoe has a conversation with the author of the Brushfire Plague series. And uh, please visit our website at www.emweekly.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Stay informed. Check out the blog. And we look forward to next week. Thanks again for listening.